We welcome you into a brand new episode of College Sports Today on WLRZ 99.3 FM. As always, Hamilton Neal here with you today as we got the Prams kicking off the show. Jesse and Alta Keller bringing it as usual for us with Don't Stress Out. Hope everyone is having a great finish to their week. Hope everyone is having a great year so far here in 2022. We're already coming up on mid-February. Things are moving so quickly. We have so much going on in the world of college sports from Lenore Rhine to everywhere across the country. And what that means for us is we have another jam-packed episode this week. We'll get things started with news from Lenore Rhine men's and women's basketball. We'll also be talking softball, baseball, and men's and women's lacrosse. In our second segment, we'll be talking college football. Some of the top quarterbacks in the country have made their way out of the transfer portal and have chosen their new destinations. And in segment three, we'll be going over some college basketball news with our top five games from the last week. We'll talk men's contests. We'll talk women's contests. Going to be a very big segment there as well. But again, we're going to get things started with Lenore Ryan News and the LR men's basketball team. They ran their winning streak to three games with a 73-65 victory over Limestone back last Saturday night. Jalen Johnson led the Bears with 19 points as LR held the Saints to just 20 first-half points. T.J. Nesmith, Nas Tyson, and Kevin Kangu were also in double-figure scoring with 13, 11, and 8, respectively. Both teams played tight through the first half with LR holding a narrow 21-20 advantage with a minute to play. The Bears then got a three-pointer and a three-point play to grab the momentum at the end of the half and went into the break up 27-20. Despite the low scoring total, LR shot 50% in the first half and held the Saints to 8 of 23 shooting. Johnson had eight points in the first half as LR forced the Saints into 12 first-half turnovers. In the second half, Limestone cut the lead to four with 9.06 to play, but a 13-2 run pushed the LR advantage to 56-41 with 4.38 left. The Saints would respond by cutting LR's lead to 56-49 with 2.45 to go. However, the Bears would ice the game at the free-throw line, going 13-15 of in the second half. TJ Nesmith had 12 of his 13 points in the second half and went 6-9 of from the field. On Wednesday, T.J. Nesmith scored a career-high 32 points and four Bears scored in double figures as the LR men's basketball team earned their fourth win in a row with a 94-84 victory over Catawba inside Schufer Gymnasium. The Bears shot a season-best 51.5% from the field and 20 of 22 from the free-throw line to pull away from the Indians. This is the sixth consecutive game in the series that the winning team has scored at least 90 points in their victory. Before tonight, Catawba had won two straight and three out of their last four in the series. This is LR's first four-game winning streak since January of 2020. With the victory, they improved to 8-14 and overall, 7-12 and in South Atlanta Conference play. Their next game is Saturday at Anderson. The LR women's basketball team lost to visiting Limestone 81-66 Saturday afternoon inside Shuford Gymnasium. Brandy Hudson led the Bears with 20 points, while Emily Harmon added 14 in this year's annual Play for K game. Saturday was the first time Limestone had played in Hickory as a South Atlanta Conference opponent. The Saints joined the conference in August of 2020, but the first three games in the series since joining the conference were in Gaffney, South Carolina. The Bears won the first five games against Limestone, but the Saints have now won seven straight. Wednesday night, the Bears held off a late 17-2 run to upset number 14 Catawba 69-61 at Shuford Gymnasium. Brendy Hudson scored a game-high 21 points to help the Bears beat their first-ranked opponent since beating number 20 Carson Newman on December 5, 2018. The Bears snapped a four-game losing streak against the Indians as the team split the season series. The Indians came into the game number 9 in the nation in turnover margin at plus 7.5. Catawba forces 21.6 turnovers a game while committing just 14.1. The Bears were 0-8 against ranked opponents since the win at number 20 Carson Newman in 2018, including losing twice to a ranked Catawba team during that stretch. With the win, LR improves to 8-12 overall, 7-11 in conference play, they are next at Anderson Saturday. 
On Anthony Perino's first swing of the day, he launched a ball over the Rackfield fence to give the Lenoran baseball team a thrilling 9-6 win over Barton in the 2022 home opener back this weekend. Perino came in defensively at the top of the ninth inning and then made the most of his only at-bat of the day. The game saw four lead changes and three ties and was eventually the Bears that prevailed over the Bulldogs. This was the 22nd meeting between the two schools since 2000, but only the second meeting in Hickory. The 22 meetings are now even at 11-11. After only hitting one home run in the first four games of the year, LR exploded with three in this contest. The Bears led the sack in home runs in 2021 with 63 in just 41 games. Henry Cartrett had a phenomenal second outing for the Bears after transferring from USC Aiken, striking out the side in order in the seventh. Freshman Spencer Floyd pitched the eighth and started a double play by snagging a soft line drive out of the air and doubling the runner off at first. With the win, LR improves to 4-1 and one on the season. The Lenoran softball team played a doubleheader against Lee's McCray to open their season back this past weekend. In game one, Lauren Rake struck out 15 Bobcats and Cassidy Wall hit a two-run home run for a 3-1 Bears win. In game two, Savannah Moorfield tied the game with an infield single and then a Caitlin Rackard RBI single in the bottom of the ninth gave the Bears the win by a score of 4-3. Morgan Beeler threw a complete game, striking out a career-high 13 to get her first win of the season. In a battle of top 10 teams to kick off the 2022 season, it was number 9 U Indy that got the better of number 2 Lenoran Men's Lacrosse 12-11 in a closely contested game between the Bricks. This was the first meeting between the two schools, and U Indy is the 39th different opponent LR has played in its 12 years of lacrosse. The Bears fall to 3-9 in season openers all-time. Eccleston had four goals to pace the Bears. He led the team with 54 goals in 2021, and Venazio, who had his hat trick in his first game as a Bear, is a graduate transfer from Coker and a second all-time in Cobra program history with 105 goals. The Bears next play Saturday against North Greenville at home. And the Lenoran women's lacrosse team has been predicted to finish fifth in the preseason South Atlanta Conference coaches poll. Queens was named the preseason favorite and garnered 10 first-place votes. The Bears placed four on the preseason all-conference team. Susie Smith and Cassie Laffler were named to the first team, with Caitlin Cavanaugh and Isabel Dunham named to the second team. Laffler finished the season with 19 cost turnovers and 27 ground balls, while Smith paced all LR returners with 35 goals and 45 points, including a seven-goal effort against Coker and UVA Wise. Kavanaugh finished fourth on the team with 24 points despite missing over half the season with injury, and Dunham led the Bears with 25 cost turnovers and 38 ground balls. The Bears opened the season on February 12th when they traveled to Lee for a 4 p.m. contest. Again, tons of stuff going on here at Lenore Ryan right now. Went over a ton of information. First talking about the LR men's and women's basketball teams. Great win for the men's squad. Back over the weekend against Limestone, 73-65. We saw consistency. We saw efficiency from this team shooting the basketball. They shot 50% in the first half. Saw a very similar clip in the second half. They got up to a big lead early. They got off to a good start. LR at one point had a 14-2 advantage in this contest. And Limestone did come back and narrow the deficit. They did come back and start to show some consistency on their end. We mentioned they cut it to 21-20, and then LR went up 27-20 at the half. LR then got out to another big lead in the second half. Limestone comes roaring back. Credit to the Bears for finishing it out at the free throw line, 13-15 of 15 in the second half. A lot of those fouls late, the ability to knock down free throws, big reason why they won this contest. And that's something that we had not seen LR do as consistently earlier in the season was finish out games with the free throws, with clutch shots. That's what we saw here in this game against Limestone. And then against Catawba on Wednesday, TJ Nesmith absolutely went off, career-high 32 points, four Bears in double figures, 94 points here in this contest, 94-84 win for the Bears here over the Indians. This is exactly what LR needs to do moving forward, consistency offensively. Best game of the season for Lenoran, without doubt, 
on the offensive side of the ball at least. Nesmith individually, an incredible performance. LR has now won four games in a row. And I think a big reason for that is not only because of their consistency at the free throw line and scoring more points, but defensively. In the big moments, in the clutch moments, they're playing a lot better. This is their first four-game winning streak since January 2020. Remember, this team was sitting at 4-14 and overall. Now they're 8-14, and 7-12 and in the conference, starting to rise the standings a little bit. Next at Anderson Saturday, big game there. The LR women's basketball team, tough weekend for them, losing to Limestone 81-66 at home at Shreveford Gymnasium. Being at this game and seeing the lead slip away was really tough for LR. This was their annual play for K game. Obviously, they wanted to come out and get the win. Tough to go up against a team with a lot of offensive options and a high-scoring, potent attack. That's what Limestone has. That's what they bring to the table. And LR offensively just was not able to keep up. This is not a great scoring team. They usually have to play great defense and hold you down a little bit if they're going to have an opportunity to win. Brandy Hudson individually had a great game with 20 points. Emily Harmon had 14 we expect that from those two, game in and game out, as well as Maddie Dillinger, who has been struggling a little bit recently, hasn't had as many big scoring games, but you expect it from Hudson, you expect it from Harmon. Those two, again, combining for 34. The Bears have not played well of late in this series against Limestone. We mentioned they won the first five in this series since it started, but now they've lost seven in a row to Limestone. But really, everyone forgot about that game after Wednesday night hit, and they got that huge win over number 14, Catawba, 69-61. Win against a ranked opponent, I can't tell you how much confidence it gives this team. You know, after struggling so much this season and being so up and down, to get a win over a team of this caliber in Catawba, who is obviously going to be in the NCAA tournament, they're going to have an opportunity to go far, make a run all the way. Brandy Hudson, game high 21, game in and game out. She's bringing it for them. She is their best player, without a doubt. Emily Harmon is right there behind her, though. First win against a ranked team since taking down number 20, Carson Newman on December 5th, 2018, so it was a little over three years since they'd gotten a win over a top 25 team. 0-8 in their previous eight games against ranked teams since that win over the Carson Newman Eagles. They lost to Catawba earlier this season, but they gave them a nice push, gave them a nice fight, and you could kind of feel coming into this game that they were going to have a chance because this team, just like the men's squad, there's a ton of talent here. There's a lot of potential for this squad to be really great, but it's just about putting it together game in and game out and being consistent with it and that's something that we haven't seen as much with this team so far this season. But now they're 8-12 and overall, 7-11 and in conference play at Anderson Saturday as well. For both of these teams, a great opportunity to get win number 9. These two teams have been on very similar trajectories this season, and they have an opportunity to keep it going. The men's team is on a four-game winning streak. The women's team on a winning streak now as well. The LR baseball and softball teams off to great starts this season. LR Baseball 4-1 overall, softball at 2-0. Men's Lacrosse had a great game there against UND, the ninth-ranked team in the country. LR came into this game at number two in the nation. Again, fell by one by a score of 12-11. to Really consistent game for LR, especially late in the contest. They were down, had to come back, and then UND had some clutch plays late getting that victory. Game against North Greenville Saturday, very important for them. Women's Lacrosse team, they have not started their season yet. They'll start Saturday against Lee. Really good squad this will be as well. Last year, they struggled a little bit. Last year, they weren't as consistent as they would have liked, but you got Susie Smith coming back, Cassie Laffler. We mentioned both of those two are on the first team preseason all-conference. Caitlin Cavanaugh, Isabel Dunham on the second team. 
Game against Lee at 4 p.m. against Saturday. Really excited to see how they get their season started. Predicted to finish fifth in the conference. This is a really strong South Atlantic Conference in women's lacrosse, just like it is in men's lacrosse as well. So we got a ton of stuff here at Lenore Ryan going on right now. And that's not everything. We have so much more going on right now. That's all that we could fit into this segment tonight. We have so many other sports going on right now. Swimming wrapped up their season. We're going to talk about that soon. Golf has started up. Track and field. All of that stuff. Triathlon. Weightlifting. There's so much going on here at Lenore Ryan right now. We couldn't quite possibly fit everything into this segment. But as we go through the next couple of weeks, we're going to keep this segment fresh. We're going to talk about different sports and everything that's going on. So that's what we have with Lenore Ryan Sports. For more information on all of those stories, for more information on all of what's going on here, visit lrbears.com. There you'll find all the recaps, all the box scores, everything that you need to know there. We're going to take a quick break here on the show. When we come back, we'll be talking college football with some big transfer news as some of the top quarterbacks in the country have chosen their new destinations. But first, music from the Spaceys and their song Pictures, leading us into our next segment. We'll be right back. That was pictures from the Spaceys leading us in to our second segment of the show where we're now talking to college football. And what we're going to do here tonight is go over some big transfer news. We got a ton of stuff going on across the country in the transfer portal. So many guys going in, so many guys going out. Tonight, we're going to be talking about some quarterbacks that are now out of the transfer portal that have gone from their old school and have now chosen their new school. All of these headlines, very, very big. We're going to start with former USC quarterback Jackson Dart. He has announced that he will transfer to Ole Miss. Dart, who started three games for the Trojans as a true freshman in 2021, will have three years of eligibility remaining in Oxford. Additionally, ESPN's Chris Lowe reported that former USC tight end Michael Trigg will join Dart in transferring from USC. Trigg caught seven passes for 109 yards and one touchdown as a true freshman. 61.9% of Dart's passes went for 1,353 yards, nine touchdowns, and five interceptions. He threw four touchdowns and 391 yards in his first major action against Washington State on September 18th. The Caseville, Utah product was ranked as a top 10 quarterback recruit in 2021, and it was the number 69 prospect overall. Former Oklahoma Sooners quarterback Caleb Williams has announced that he is transferring to USC, reuniting with coach Lincoln Riley. Williams said in a statement, I wanted to go somewhere that I thought would provide me with the best development both on and off the field. Getting to know coach Riley and gaining familiarity with his offense definitely played a part in my selection, as well as already knowing some of the guys on the team. He threw for 1,912 yards, 21 touchdowns, and four interceptions in 11 games, while rushing for 442 yards and six touchdowns as part of his freshman All-American season in 2021. And former UCF quarterback Dylan Gabriel has announced that he is transferring to Oklahoma. The Hawaii native initially committed to the UCLA Bruins in mid-December before flipping to the Sooners last week. Gabriel threw for 8,041 yards, 70 touchdowns, and 14 interceptions in 26 games for UCF, He suffered a broken collarbone in the Knights' third game of the 2021 season versus Louisville. He will have two years of eligibility remaining along with an NCAA-granted extra year of eligibility if he chooses to use it. The thing that you see with all three of these headlines and all three of these quarterbacks is Jackson Dart leaves USC to go to Ole Miss. Caleb Williams leaves Oklahoma to go to USC. And going to Oklahoma is Dylan Gabriel from UCF. So all of these guys kind of replacing each other here, which is 
really, I think the theme of the transfer portal is guys see that they have a better opportunity somewhere else. And if you're looking at big high-level programs like USC, like Oklahoma, guys are going to want to go in there from other schools when they see a spot open up. And that's exactly what we saw here with Jackson Dart leaving USC, going to Ole Miss, obviously Matt Corral going out there. We have not seen on a wide scale yet how good Jackson Dart is. Coming into Ole Miss, we're going to see just that. He only started three games for USC as a true freshman. 1,353 yards, nine TDs, five picks, as we mentioned. Completed 61.9% of his passes. He showed some really good things in the action that we did see him in. And for Ole Miss in that Lane Kiffin offense, you're going to see it spread out. You're going to see him have the opportunity to push the ball downfield, make throws at every level. And that's that's his play style. That's what he wants to do. Big arm, can move around. He's He's tough. He has that toughness about him, something that Matt Corral really displayed as well at the quarterback position for Ole Miss. Coming out as a high school recruit, very highly rated, 69th overall, top 10 among the quarterbacks. Coming out of Cageville, Utah, was a local recruit for USC. Now with him going out, Caleb Williams comes in from Oklahoma because Lincoln Riley is there as the head coach. And this is something that was really, I think, predestined for a while now. We saw some leaked photos of Caleb Williams in a USC uniform on a visit prior to his commitment, everybody was just connecting the dots. Caleb Williams is going to USC. That's what everybody was talking about even before this news was official, right when Lincoln went to USC and right after Caleb Williams announced he was transferring from Oklahoma, everybody talked about, okay, those two are going to go and reunite. Those two are going to make something happen out West. And that's exactly what we're going to see. And it's the familiarity with a coach. It's a familiarity with the coaching staff. And that's why Caleb Williams made the decision to go to USC. And maybe while there were some other schools rumored to be in the mix, I really don't think he was considering any other school but USC. To reunite with Lincoln Riley, that was just too appealing of an opportunity to pass up. And coming in for Spencer Rattler last year at Oklahoma, played extremely well. 1,912 yards, 21 touchdowns, four picks in just 11 games. And the thing about Caleb Williams is, had he started from the beginning, Oklahoma might have been in the college football playoff. He could have won the Heisman Trophy legitimately. Again, had he started from day one, he came in about midway point of the season and filled in extremely well for Spencer Rattler, who is now at the University of South Carolina. Great season overall, capped it off with a bowl win against Oregon, but just could not stay there at Oklahoma with the lack of familiarity with all the change going on. And now he's going to be playing at USC and now playing for Oklahoma. And Brent Venables will be Dylan Gabriel. Over the years, we've talked about guys that have played at mid-major schools like this, having that opportunity to play at a higher level program if they're good enough. And Dylan Gabriel is obviously a power five type of player. At UCF, had some great success, won a lot of games. We mentioned the stats, over 8,000 yards passing, 70 TDs in just 26 games for them. 2021 season was cut short for him because of the broken collarbone against Louisville in that third game of the season. He's going to be great for Oklahoma. Has a big arm, lefty, can really move around back there. He's not Caleb Williams in the way that he can run with the football. You know, Caleb Williams is that true dual threat. Dylan Gabriel is a lot like Jackson Dart, a dropback passer. He's a pocket guy, and he's not really a runner as much. But that's not really what Oklahoma's looking for. Oklahoma, they need some consistency back there. They need someone who can fill that void. It's a very big void with Caleb Williams leaving. I think Dylan Gabriel will be that guy for them. He was going to go to UCLA. We mentioned mid-December, made an early decision. So I'm going to go play for Chip Kelly. Then he thought about it a little bit, pulled everything back, and saw Oklahoma have an opening. They saw Caleb Williams leave, and he saw an opportunity to go in and play for them. So going to be very interesting to see how all of these guys play. He'll have two years of eligibility remaining along with 
an extra year of eligibility granted by the NCAA if he chooses to use it. So he has up to three more years. I don't think he's going to use all three of those years. I think he maybe takes two more to try to get to the NFL level. Same thing for Caleb Williams and for Jackson Dart. USC needed a QB. Lincoln Riley went and got his guy in C-Dub. And then Jackson Dart heading to Ole Miss. No quarterback competition there, I think. Even though there's been some speculation that there might be some type of competition, Jackson Dart has come into Ole Miss to start. And he's coming into play well right away, and I think he's going to do just that. So that's what's going on in college football right now in terms of the transfer news. Again, the transfer portal, every single offseason tends to blow up at this time of the year with guys coming in, with guys going out. We're still going to have a ton of stuff to talk about in college football as we go through every single week here on this show. Not only transfer stuff, but we have spring ball coming up into March, into April. We're going to have more headlines coming out with recruiting, guys decommitting, guys signing, flipping, etc. That's all that we got here in segment two with college football. Coming up next, we're going to go into segment three, where we're going to be talking to college basketball with our men's and women's top five games of the week. Tons of huge matchups, tons of hot takes to get to. You're not going to want to miss it. That's coming up on the other side of the Wild Winds with you. Stay right there. All right, rolling into segment three of the show now with college basketball. And we're talking the top five games of the week in NCAA men's and NCAA women's basketball. Every single week on this show, guys, we have great matchups to talk about. We have great games, but especially this week, especially on this episode, we have games that have really shifted tournament projections. We have games that have really shifted NCAA tournament outlook for a lot of basketball teams. And we're going to start with our men's top five games of the week. And start on Saturday, February 5th with number four, Arizona. They took down number 21, USC, by a score of 72-63. to 63. For Arizona, Azales Tublis had 18 points to lead the way. Kirk Creesa had 13. Christian Coloco had 10 as well. For USC, Isaiah Mobley had 15 points and 7 rebounds. He was the only Trojan in double-figure scoring. Ethan Anderson, Boogie Ellis, and Chavez Goodwin had 8. On Sunday, February 6th, number 16, Ohio State defeated Maryland by a score of 82-67. to 67. Leading the Buckeyes was EJ Liddell. He had 24 points, 11 rebounds, and 5 assists. Zed Key and Justin Ahrens had 14 points each as well. For Maryland, Dante Scott had 25, Deron Russell had 12, and Kudus Wahab had 10. On Monday, February 7th, Virginia upset number 7 Duke 69-68 at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Leading UVA was Jaden Gardner. He had 17 points and 8 rebounds. Caden Shedrick had 16, and Armand Franklin had 11. Leading Duke was Mark Williams with 16 points. Trevor Keels had 12. Paula Bancaro and Wendell Moore had down performances here in this contest. Both only scored nine points. UVA shot 31 of 65 from the floor, had 16 assists off made field goals, and forced 15 Duke turnovers. Also that day, number 20 Texas took down number eight Kansas, 79 to 76. Leading the Longhorns was Timmy Allen. He had 24 points. Trey Mitchell had 17. Andrew Jones and Marcus Carr both had 10. For Kansas, Jalen Wilson had a double-double of 18 points and 11 rebounds. David McCormick had 16. Christian Brown had 13, and Ochai Abaji was also in double figures with 11 points. And on Tuesday, February 8th, number 24 UConn took down number 18 Marquette by a score of 80 to 72. Adama Sanogo had 24 points and 15 rebounds to lead the Huskies. Tyrese Martin also had a double double, 18 points and 15 rebounds. For Marquette, Olivier Maxis Prosper led the way with 18. Justin Lewis and Greg Elliott had 17. Big stat from this game UConn out rebounded Marquette. 
46 to 27. That's something that we've talked about consistently with this Marquette team is they're going to have to rebound the basketball at a consistent clip to have a chance to win games night in and night out. And they've done that. They got a big one over Villanova. They've been really one of the best stories in college basketball all season long and have one of the best players in the country in Justin Lewis, who had 17 points here in this game. Good to see Olivia Maxence Prosper get in on some of the action, 18 points here in this one. Those two working in unison in the front court, that's going to help them game in and game out. If those two can continue to play off each other and both score in double figures, both grab the boards, that'll be big for them. But they didn't do that on the glass. Only 27 team rebounds here in this game to 46 for UConn. For these two squads, it's about the front court play. It's about the big men on the inside. Much like it is for the Texas Longhorns going up and talking about them, their win over Kansas, Trey Mitchell, transfer from UMass, has played very well this season, 17 points here in this one. Timmy Allen, transfer from Utah, great, great performance here with 24 points. And then the guys in the backcourt started to get things going a little bit. Andrew Jones, Marcus Carr, both with 10. On the Kansas side of things, balanced scoring. Great performance from Jalen Wilson, David McCormick. You go down the line, just wasn't enough. Texas had a little bit more there late. This is a huge, huge resume-building win for Texas. I can't stress enough what this does for them. To get a win over a top-10 team in the Kansas Jayhawks, whenever you beat them, that's a win to add to your resume right away. And they had been lacking big wins, resume-building wins. This is exactly what Chris Beard's team needed. As for Kansas, they just got a big win over Baylor. Now they dropped this one. So they're starting to see some inconsistency here. I think the committee was feeling very good about them before this loss. You know, they, they beat Baylor. That was a great win for them. Even though it's a Baylor team who's now number 10 in the top 25. Doesn't hold as much weight as it did when they were number one or in the top five. Something like that. But that was still a big win. Now they dropped this one. Duke's starting to show some inconsistency now with the loss to Virginia. 69-68 came up just short. Something that we've seen when Duke has struggled to win games, or even in certain stretches of games, is Paulo Bancaro and Wendell Moore not playing well. They're struggling. They can't get things going from the floor. That's what happened here in this one. They only combined for 18 points. Usually both of those two you know, have 15 to 20 points each. And that's why Duke has been so good this season, is because Paulo and Wendell have played at that high level. And they didn't bring it here in this game. Nine points each for both of them. Mark Williams had a very good performance. Trevor Keels did as much as he could do with his offensive arsenal, but it just wasn't enough. Virginia's defense, again, outstanding. Tony Bennett, one of the best schemers in the country on the defensive side of the basketball, arguably the best defensive coach in the country with his pedigree on that side, forced 15 turnovers. Duke did not shoot it well. 68 points is a very low number for Duke. There are still some things that they need to get figured out. This is an unranked Virginia team. This really hurts Duke, I think, as far as their seed goes. When the top 16 reveals start coming out, you're going to see Duke a little bit lower than you would have. And it's because of a loss like this. You know, had Virginia been in the top 25, you know, it wouldn't have been as hard of a loss to take as far as their seed projection goes. But the fact that Virginia was a team that's just kind of trying to find that stability, find that balance, not even in the top 25, not a good loss for them. And Arizona's a team. At number four in the country, that I think could make a run all the way to the national championship, maybe win a national championship. With the talent that they have, it's still very underrated. Azolas Tublis, Kirk Creasa, Christian Coloco, Dalen Terry, there's not a star on this team, maybe outside of Benedict Matherin, but they have that cohesion, they have that consistency, and they can score the basketball as well as anybody in the country. They're third in scoring offense, 85.1 points per game, first in total rebounds of 43, and first in assists. The last two stats I read there are so, so important. 
Think about that they're number one in total rebounds per game, number one in assists. They're sharing the basketball. Everybody's spreading it around, getting each other involved, and then the fact that they can rebound the basketball as well as score at that high clip. This is why this team can win the championship this year is because, again, not only of their potency on the offensive end, but when they rebound like that every single game, 43 rebounds per game, you're getting offensive opportunities, extra chances on that end. Their defense has been much better because of their ability to rebound. As a face-guarding team, they can give up a lot of points sometimes. But when shots aren't going in, they have bigs on the interior that can rebound. So keep your eye on Arizona as a team that can go win a national championship. Keep your eye on UConn, on Texas. Those two teams very underrated, both getting huge wins against very good teams. And the Virginia Cavaliers starting to make some noise there in the ACC. So that's what's going on in NCAA men's basketball. Now going over to the women's side of things, huge matchups here as well. Most of them on Sunday, February 6th, starting with number eight, UConn, 75-56. They got a dominant win over number 13, Tennessee. In this game for the Huskies, AZ Fudd had a career-high 25 points, four rebounds, and four assists. She hit seven three-pointers on the game. Avina Westbrook and Aaliyah Edwards had 14 points apiece. Nika Meal had eight as well. For Tennessee, Jordan Horston had 26. Tamara Key had eight points and three rebounds. Very much struggled in this one. UConn did a great job of holding her down. Huskies hit 12 of 26 three-point shots. They assisted on 18 of 26 made field goals. And this was without Caroline Ducharme, who missed this game with a head injury. That was a very, very huge win for UConn to get their confidence back up. And everybody's tune was kind of changing there on UConn after that win. Saying, well, okay, they did this without Beckers. They did this without Ducharme. Maybe they are the real deal. With AZ Fudd leading the way with Westbrook and Edwards. You know, going down the line, maybe this team can make a run, even if they have these injuries. Maybe they can make a push for a number two seed. My opinion on that has not changed, and we're going to talk about why coming up in just a moment because of what happened on Wednesday. Continuing with the Sunday games now, number 19, Florida, took down number 17, Georgia, 54-51. to Zipporah Broughton had 11, as did Jordan Merritt to lead the Gators. Kiara Smith and Nina Rickards had 10. They held the Bulldogs to 1 of 10 shooting from the three-point line and out-rebounded them. 46 to 35. Number four, Michigan took down number 25, Iowa, by a score of 98 to 90. Nas Hillman had 26 to lead the Wolverines. Lalafilia had 24. Maddie Nolan had 17. And Emily Kaiser had 10. In the loss for Iowa, Caitlin Clark had an insane stat line of 46 points, 10 rebounds, and four assists. She played all 40 minutes of this contest, but they still lost the game. 46, 10, and four, and they still lose to number four, Michigan, there again by a score of 98 to 90. Wednesday, February 9th, two huge games, including one with UConn that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Number 15, Maryland, 70-43 to over Wisconsin. Angel Reese had 19. Chloe Bibby with 16. Cheyenne Sellers with 12. Diamond Miller with 11. Super balanced stat line there for Maryland. They out-rebounded Wisconsin 34-22, forced 26 turnovers, and held Wisconsin to just 34.1% shooting. And now, we're again talking about number 8, UConn. They got that huge win against Tennessee on Sunday, and everything looked all good with this team going into the new week. But then they played Villanova Wednesday and lost their first conference game since March 2013 by a score of 72-69. to Again, first conference loss for UConn of any kind since March of 2013, which was when they were in the Big East originally and fell to Notre Dame in the Big East championship game. After the Big East, they moved to the American Athletic Conference, never lost a game in that league, playing the likes of USF, UCF, Wichita State, East Carolina, Houston, etc. And now going back into the Big East, Last year, didn't lose a game. This year, up to this game, up to that point, had not lost a game in conference again since March 2013. That's a 145-game conference win streak snapped. And when you include conference tournament games, it was 169 games. So again, UConn falling here 
to Villanova, 72-69. to Leroy Garson had 19 points to lead Villanova. Madison Segris had 17 points and 12 rebounds. Brianna Hurley had 15 points and 10 rebounds. Lucy Olsen was also in double figures with 11. For UConn, Azzy Fudd posted a new career high with 29 points. Kristen Williams had 24. The rest of the team only had 16. So again, AZ Fudd with 29, Kristen Williams with 24. Those two played all 40 minutes. The rest of the team had 16 points for the game. Four other players managed to post to 16 points. They were out-rebounded 37-21, had 10 turnovers. Villanova was comfortable throughout this game, shooting 51.8% from the floor, 45% from three. And it's not like UConn was bad from three or from the floor. They shot it very well, but they only played six players in this game. Olivia Nelson-Nadota was out. She was not feeling well prior to the game. Couldn't go. Caroline Ducharme still out with a head injury. Obviously, Paige Beckers is out and won't be back for the rest of the regular season, most likely. So UConn only had six players in this game. But still, to me, UConn should have came out and won this game. Kristen Williams said as much after the game, saying it doesn't matter how many players we have. We only had five. It's our responsibility to go out and win. And they did not do good enough here in this game. They could have won. They should have won even with only six players. Not taking anything away from Villanova. That's a 16-6 and team. That's probably going to make the NCAA tournament when it's all said and done. But even with six players, UConn had an opportunity to win this game. But they were out-rebounded 37-21. to And that's the key stat that I take away here is it's not their shooting. It's not even the turnovers. Only 10 turnovers in this game. That's not bad. Out-rebounded 37-21 to against this Villanova team who is not even the biggest on the inside. They had Aaliyah Edwards in this contest. They had Dorka Juhas. They had a couple of post players, but they weren't able to get it done. Avina Westbrook only had five points in this game. She has struggled all season long. She's been a big disappointment for them recently. Dorky Juhas and Aliyah Edwards have also been very big disappointments for this team over the course of the season. It just hasn't been good enough from those two on the inside. And this is the reason that UConn probably isn't going to win a national title this year. Even if they get everyone back, they can't rebound the basketball. 37-21, to 21, they're out-rebounded here in this game. What do you think is going to happen when they play South Carolina? If they play to Stanford? If they play Louisville? Heck, even when they played Oregon, they were not consistently pulling down rebounds. When you go up and play the elite teams in the country and look at all the teams at the top of the rankings, what do they have? They have consistent post play. They have, they have personnel on the interior that allows them to go inside and out. UConn's starting to become an outside and in team. And that's not, that's not what wins games. That's not what's going to win it for you in this age of women's college basketball. Yes, perimeter talent is so important. You got to be able to shoot the basketball from three. You kind of hit 10 threes in this game. That was well enough to win, but it was their inability to rebound and the inability of Juhas and Edwards to, to do anything for them. That's what led to their demise in this contest. Despite that, AZ Fudd has been playing very, very well. 25 against Tennessee, 29 here in this game. She's a superstar. She's been playing outstanding. She's bringing it for this team when other players have not. And she really is that special player for them that they need. Unfortunately, we have not been able to see her and Paige Beckers hardly play at all. Had those two been healthy and playing together, if this team had like no injuries, I think they would be right there at the top of the rankings. They would have way less than five losses, which is a huge, huge number for UConn. To even have two, three losses in a season is uncharacteristic for them. So tons of problems with this team right now that they got to get fixed. Gino Oriemis said after the game, Villanova deserved to win. They were more physical. They wanted it more. The desire, the consistency rebounding the basketball, the flow offensively is still very fragmented. It's still out of sync. It's not good enough. And as long as Paige Beckers is out and Caroline Ducharme is out, this team is not going to have many options offensively. Ducharme gave them so much versatility because she could score inside and outside. Fudd is more of that perimeter-only player. Kristen Williams has been struggling with the jump shot. 
She hasn't been as good on the inside this season. Avina Westbrook, again, uh, absolutely disappeared this season in, in a lot of their big games. And coming up against DePaul, against all those other really good teams, against Marquette, they got to find a way to get back to the basics and try to get things going yet again. So UConn falling there, 72-69 to Villanova, a very good basketball team. Again, Michigan getting a big win over Iowa. Florida, a very good basketball team, one of the best stories in women's college basketball, one of the most turned-around teams this season. They have almost 20 wins. They're now in the top 25. They're doing this without Lavender Briggs, their second-leading scorer who transferred to Maryland during this season. So you have Broughton, you have Merritt, Kara Smith has stepped up and really they've become their best players. So great story, Florida. They got a really good team going right there. Maryland Terrapins also kind of under the radar this season as a six-loss team. Right now they're starting to get some wins. They're starting to find some consistency and get back a little bit. So that's a team to watch going into the NCAA tournament. Very, very dangerous squad there, coached by Brenda Fries. That's all that we have in women's college basketball tonight. That's all that we have on this episode of College Sports Today, our 15th installment. We thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen. We hope you join us again coming up next week. This is Hamilton Neal signing off. I'll see you on the next episode. We'll send you out with the Prams. Don't stress out. Have a great night, everybody. Have a great weekend coming up. I'll see you then.